Amen. Amen. Good morning, Identity Church. Good morning. Good morning. There's been a lot of awesome things that are going on. Of you know, we're we're gonna put more stuff out on Facebook and and other areas. But you know, we've signed a lease on a building. We are um, we've done a work day yesterday. We had um, you know we've got some paint and I mean just holes being filled and you know sound equipment, lights, all these different things are going on. And I just want to thank all the people that showed up. I mean Charlie Reva. You guys cleaned up more carpet than I ever seen in my life. I mean, it was amazing. Um, they, you know, basically uh, Heather ran carpet cleaners. I mean, we have we've had some amazing, amazing stuff. Um, you know, the Lord keeps putting on my heart that that you never give up, you never stop, and that He'll show you how to step into that next step. He'll show you how to step that next step. And you know what? I will tell you this. There is a, there's an opportunity for us today to listen to these Beatitudes that, that uh, Jesus taught on. And that's what we were t- talking about last week. Um, I'm calling this series Jesus Culture. We talked about uh, the beginning of the Beatitudes what the Beatitudes really mean, um, most people don't know that the Beatitudes were actually out of a, out of a Roman name uh, for uh, Beata, which means that basically it's to be blessed, to be blessed, to be happy, to, to be euphoric, to, to know that you're doing the right thing. And see, that's what Jesus was trying to get to the people who had showed up in front of him. He was, he was trying to show them that there was a life beyond the one they were living. Do you know that there is a life beyond the one that we are living? We just keep walking it every single day. You know what's funny is when I was a kid, and I thought about this, I thought about this a lot, but when I was a kid, have you ever, have you ever had that lost feeling like, I don't know what I'm going to do and I don't know where I'm going to go. Do you know that, that when I was a teenager and even when some awesome things were happening, we were playing football championships and we were doing all this stuff, I would always think, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know where I'm going. <clears throat> My life is up for grabs is the way I felt about it. And you know that every time I had one of those feelings or one of those moments that I had no comfort in myself. Like, you know, dad wasn't going, oh, I'm going to pay for college or I'm going to send you over here, you know, to this school or to this thing. So I didn't have a a financial backer or somebody like that that said, I'm going to plan your life out for you. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. There was a lot of things I wanted to do, but I just didn't feel blessed about my situation. You know that Jesus came to tell us that there was another kingdom and that we could be a part of that. Because the world's kingdom says you can't do, and Jesus' kingdom says you can do. Like we talked about before, 
Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ Jesus that strengthens me. You know, that was the thing that, that was the first time in my life when I heard that and it became alive in me that I actually felt like that I was no longer lost. You mean that in every area and every situation, Lord, you want me to be able to do all things? <coughs> Excuse me. You know what? It's true. You know that I never, from that point on, had one of those lost feelings again. It's because it started manifesting in me the things that I'm supposed to do. I became blessed. And because I became blessed, I became happy, I became intricately familiar with who I was in Christ Jesus, then Hey, I was, I was poor in the Spirit. I was poor in the Spirit. And guess what He did? He gave me the kingdom of heaven. I was able to actually turn around and within 18 months, within 18 months, I was working my first technical job. You know, I was working construction jobs or I would work in, you know, I work for AutoZone or I work for Walmart. All those are good jobs. Great jobs. It's just not what I wanted to do. It was the jobs that was given to me. You know, when, when a job was, was presented to me, I just took it face value. And you know what? The Lord kept saying, you've got to think like I think. You've got to think beyond your circumstances. You know that that... That was a, never a thought in my mind. I never was able to get past what my circumstances was. Do you know that the moment I was able to see something else, like I was able to, to imagine it. How many people had imaginations? Everybody, everybody's got your hand up. Well, guess what? And, and I had a heck of an imagination when I was a kid, right, Mom? <laughs> I mean, I could think about all kinds of stuff, but they weren't good imaginations. They were just imaginations. I could tell you space stories and I could tell you all this other stuff, but they didn't have anything to do with future reality. <coughs> I would have created a TV show more than I would have created anything else. I had imaginary friends. One of them turned into Matt that's sitting over there. I mean... At the end of all this, you know, I could imagine false things, but I could never imagine what my life would look like. I mean, I could sit there and tell you a really good, I could, I could spin some yarn. I could tell a really good story. But you know what? I couldn't tell you what my future looked like if, if somebody had come and wrote the script and put it in front of me. And the moment that I got a hold of, I can do all things through Christ Jesus that strengthens me. The Beatitudes became alive in me. I started going, oh, I'm poor in something, Lord. And he said, I'm going to give you a new kingdom. And when he said, oh, you're going to mourn, I'm going to be comforted. See, I want you to understand is that every single time in my life when God said, you can do all things, and I turn the naysayers away. I turned away the naysayer in me. 
that, you know what? I was blessed. I had the, the beata. The beatitudes became alive in me. So last week we talked about this blessed are the poor in spirit and I, <clears throat> I showed you that the people back then weren't saved. Shocker. Before Jesus came, no one was saved. But see, God created things like the temple to show man what he could be. It was supposed to be a way for man to say, ah, I come from the outer, my, my body, and I go to the inner, which is my soul, and, and then into the Holy of Holies, which is my spirit. And you know what? I'm blessed because I have a new kingdom that connects me back from the, from the actual Holy of Holies all the way to the throne room of God. See, God told me that I could have a new kingdom. And as I, I showed you, the people that were there when Jesus was talking to them, they had a completely screwed up idea because the Herod's palace that was created, the, the Herod temple separated man from God and only allowed the, the super duper the one small group of people to be able to have access. And you know what? This was a false sense of who God is. This was a false sense of where God was going. And see, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Well, if you've been told that you couldn't get to heaven, you can't access the Holy of Holies. You're not special. You weren't born in the right house, in the right bloodline, the right whatever. Well, guess what? You're just messed up. Your life is going to be bad. You're going to have bad things. And you know what God said? I'm going to do away with all those lineages. I'm going to do away with all this bloodline stuff. I'm going to do away with every bit of it. I'm going to put each and every person into the kingdom. They're going to be a part of my bloodline. They're going to be a part of this heavenly kingdom that I don't have a man going, you don't look right. You do look right. See, if man gets to pick and choose, he's going to go pick and choose the pretty people. If man gets, he's going to go, he's going to go to Daddy Warbucks. Oh, I'm throwing money out here to everybody. People go, oh, well, yeah, if somebody's giving money, well, then that's true. That, that's, that's the way you get friends. I'm going to be honest with you. I, I'm not going to lie to you and say that that in this kingdom of man that you can get by with nothing. Because guess what? Even Jesus himself told a parable. Jesus himself told a parable that said that, that when a man was stealing from his boss, when he stole from his boss a portion of the money and he went and took that money and the boss found out about it. And he turned around and he started, the, the man who stole started giving money to all of the people that he was trying to collect debt from or he was doing away with some of their debt so that he could have favor with them. Why? He was hedging his bets. The boss is going to fire me. I might be able to go work for one of these people. Hey, remember me. I was the one that cut you a break on your debt. You know that's the way that the kingdom of man is always going to work. It's not going to change. 
We don't get saved and the kingdom of man changes. No, we get saved and we go into the kingdom of God and we become a three-part being. And now God opens those doorways. God opens those opportunities. When you've got nothing, I had nothing. There was nobody in my family that was a, that was a computer engineer. There was nobody in my family that knew how to even help me in that respect. You know what was funny? God started bringing people to me. So the vision I started having, God would bring the people that did know something. You know, if you ever have a marriage issue, don't go find the divorced person. Okay? I'm, I'm, I'm giving you a great piece of advice. Everybody, especially, there's, you know, everybody in here, if you're, if you're having a marriage problem or if you're having kid issues, don't go find the people, the parents, if you're having problems with your kids, the ones that their kids are hellions. Don't go talk to them because they know nothing. They know nothing. You know, it was funny because I would go to work and people would freely just give advice. There was a guy I worked with. He was a divorced guy. He was very, I mean, hateful towards marriage because he had, had a really bad divorce. And let me just tell you, he told me that marriage was everything but good. And I was getting married. And you know, I sat there, I talked to him, and he goes, oh, let me just tell you, he goes, She's going to lie to you. She's going to cheat on you. And she's gonna, then she's going to take all your stuff. And, you know, I sat there and because I knew nothing. I was going into this thing. I was like, I'm just going to believe that she's not. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I walked away feeling like, who's she been talking to today? And, you know, did she lie to me this morning? I mean, you know, when I talked to her last, because whenever you get around somebody who knows nothing and they do nothing right and they give you advice, they make you question everything that is good. I'm just going to be honest with you. The moment that you get a question in your mind, don't go find somebody that's going to add five more questions. Go find somebody that says, no, this is how it works. If you want a good marriage, this is how you do it. This is what I did. I can show you examples. I have a great marriage. I've had people come up and ask me about my marriage. I've had people, my kids are a living testimony. We went to Life of Faith. They would go into classes and they would talk to people. And people would go, they looked me in the eye. They shook my hand. They talked to me. There was no other kid that did that. Kaylee goes on a job interview. She talks to the people. She's talking to them face to face. She doesn't do this, oh, I'm going to put my head down and I'm going to hide. And they go, what did you do? Sell me that, bottle it and sell it to me. And I said, I told them to look people in the eye. I told them to shake their hand and talk to them. Make conversation with them. That's hard, right? I mean, that... What I just told you right there seems, man, that don't even make sense. That's how you got him to do it? Yes. 
You know, there were times in my life when my kids would do the exact same thing. They'd go, mm-hmm. And I go, no, you're going to talk to them and you're going to look them in the eye. Well, do you think that they liked you because of that? I didn't give a crap if they liked me. Because I was about to beat their tail. You look them in the eye and you shake their hand and you tell them the good stuff that comes out of your mouth. You don't go and tell them poor mouth and stuff. I don't care. I don't care if they like me. I care if they love me. You know, if you don't, if you don't discipline your child, you hate them according to what the Bible says. You hate them. I'm going to be honest with you. I had a lady come up to me. They said, well, my kids are just so awful. I said, how many times have you tore their tail up? I've never whipped my kids. That would be abuse. And I said, well, then your kids are going to abuse you in a couple of years. They were like nine years old. I said, when, when that boy right there turns 16, he will flat out abuse you. They will back talk you. They will do everything because they're not afraid of boundaries. And you know what? I've had family members. I've had uh, friends that they didn't have as many boundaries as I did when I was a kid. And they pushed the boundaries. Do you know that, that there are times where we have to Keep those boundaries. You know, and the Lord keeps putting on my heart that that when we, and I'm going to get back into my, into my teaching, I promise. I'm going to get back into it. I got sidetracked there. But I want everybody to know that God is trying to get us in a place where, where we love our life. And you know what? Our life deserves boundaries. I need boundaries in my life. I need to to be able to say there's good things for me and bad things for me. You know, one good thing for me is to not get in an airplane and strap a, a, a parachute on it and jump out of it. Okay? There's some people that like to do that. But to me, there's just something that kind of flies in the face in my mind, to God, saying, God, you didn't make me up in the clouds. You made me down here on the ground. Now, if you skydive, if you've ever wanted to do that, that's fine. But I know for me, I've put a boundary around myself. I'm not going to do that. I put boundaries around myself when it comes to other women. You know, there has been times where I was supposed to work with other women, especially when I was doing ministry, and I would make sure somebody else was there. Why was I afraid that I was going to attack her? No. I was afraid she was going to attack me. I look pretty good. <laughs> no. I was, I was just afraid of how it would look. I was afraid of how it would be perceived. I was afraid that if, that if we're sitting there, that somebody could accuse me. So, you know, you know the same thing about about, you know, when the guy was telling me that, oh, well, you know, she's going to lie and cheat and steal on you, and I had a bunch of questions that causes doubt in my heart. Well, guess what? The first time that somebody accuses you to your mate, what is that going to do to them? See, I love my wife, Heather. I don't want people to be able to accuse me to her, and it cause her grief and strife. See, that's the beauty 
of setting those boundaries. And see, I'm going to get back to the Beatitudes because blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Do you know that, that when I set boundaries in my life, when I set these kind of things in my life, I basically am saying I am going to have confidence in God versus self-confidence. You know, self-confidence in that situation would be, well, I can handle anything. You know, I could hand. I, I had a friend of mine tell me one time, he was like, oh, I, I'm so confident in my marriage and in my relationships and with everything that a woman could throw herself at me. Well, guess what? An unseen thing is better than a seen thing. And I'll explain it to you. If I don't have somebody throw themselves at me because I've got other people around me, I have no way of having any temptation. Nor do I have the ability for anybody to wag their finger at me and tell me, well, you were with that that woman that, that threw themselves at you and you didn't do this or you didn't do that. Well, guess what? If I put enough boundaries between myself and other things, then an unseen thing is a whole lot better. You know, when somebody comes and accuses you and you go, you know, a detective goes to a murder scene and they get all the people that could have murdered the person. And they come up and they start going them one by one. And they go, where were you on the night of the 11th at 10 a.m.? I was nowhere because night and 10 a.m. doesn't work. No. But if I am somewhere with someone, then I have an alibi. And see, having an alibi, being able to be accountable is a great thing. And see, God says that that's what makes our life better is when we actually are accountable to each other. So how do we become accountable to God? Let's talk about that for a minute. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So this is his interest like God versus self-interest. I'm going to give you some examples here. Psalms 25.9, it says the meek will he guide in judgment. That means decisions and trials. It says, and the meek will he teach his way. So essentially, being meek just doesn't mean, well, I'm pretty lowly. I'm a lowly person. No, that's not what that means. It means that I'm willing to be lowly to God. It means that I'm willing to go to God and say, Teach me something. Show me your way of doing it rather than my way of doing it. And it says here in Psalms 37, 11, it says, but the meek shall inherit or possess the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Well, the meek shall inherit the earth. We've heard that forever. But do you know that inheritance is not something that I, that I pay for? Is something that I get. Like if dad gives me in, in his inheritance his lawnmower, like his riding lawnmower, that's his prized possession. A 22-year-old riding lawnmower. If he gives me that as an inheritance, do you know I didn't have to go buy it? I got it. He gave it to me. 
So the meek inherited. It means they didn't strive for it. It means that they didn't pay for it. It means that they didn't do that. We've got plenty of people that have strived and done all of this, like Bill Gates. Um, I mean, I could name off, you know, Jeff Bezos, all these other people. They worked their tail off to buy the earth. But see, the meek, God will show them the way and teach them how to obtain what is already theirs. It's their inheritance. It's theirs already. And he puts them in a special place. You know, every time I strive towards something and I'm trying to get it in myself, you know, I hit a bunch of roadblocks. You know, there's been times in this church where I've strived for things and I've hit some roadblocks and the Lord said, you're not thinking big enough. I'm going to teach you a few things about what we got to do first and then you're going to inherit it. Well, this that we're doing right now with the building, it's just been like, it's like water just rolling downhill. It just goes. It flows. Do you know that when we possess what is already inherited to us, I didn't have to do anything special. Now, does that mean I still have to work? Absolutely. We had a work day yesterday. I'm pretty sure everybody that was over there is feeling the the work day from yesterday. But that doesn't mean that God, well, I had to work yesterday. Maybe I was striving for it. No, you're possessing it. I mean, if dad said, here's the lawnmower, well, I can't have it over at his house. I gotta go possess it. He goes, it's yours, come get it. So I go over there and I either got to get on it and drive down, you know, Mission Hills Road on the thing. Or I got to lift it and put it in the back of Charlie's truck. But I got to do something to take it. You know, there's a difference between striving for it. Striving for it means that I'm going to overcome the obstacle even if it just kills me. You can buy lots of stuff. But you know what? Inheriting it means I just take it on. I still got to work for it, but it becomes mine without me even purchasing it. And then Psalms 147, 6 is the Lord lift up the meek, but he cast the wicked down. So I, I'm using Captain Jack Sparrow here. How many people have seen Pirates of the Caribbean? So in this first Pirates of the Caribbean, Captain Jack Sparrow has a ship taken from him. They throw him out there on this little bitty boat and he's going towards Tortuga. He gets all the way to, to Tortuga and little by little his boat is sinking and he, he gets out of the boat, climbs up the mast. By the time he gets to Tortuga, it goes underwater and he steps out onto the, onto the actual thing, onto the actual uh, pier. Do you know that when we inherit, we may be thinking we're going down. I mean, we may see it as the boat is sinking. But you know what? I think of meekness and faith in the same vein. Meekness and faith in the same vein because the moment that you're on your mast and you go, man, the water's getting closer to my feet. 
And all of a sudden the Lord goes, oh, all right, inherit this peer. I just take a step over. But I also think of uh, Wally Coyote when it comes to the striving part. He always wanted to get the roadrunner. And about the time he got him, you know, it'd be like a rope bridge. And the roadrunner's halfway across the bridge and he thinks, ah, I've got him now, I'm going to cut the rope. Well, you know what? This is a lot like what happens in my life when I'm striving for something in the flesh. Because he cuts the rope and the whole mountain falls. And the roadrunner comes up to the edge of the rope bridge and goes beep, beep, and runs on. Do you know that, that when we are meek, that means we're trusting. We're trusting that the Lord's going to do something awesome. <clears throat> and I'm going to go through this last one and I'm going to close. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Righteousness in the Greek just means justification. Justification just means that it's as if though I had not done the bad thing. Justified, not sin. That's an Andrew Womackism. He would always go around, you are justified by Jesus Christ, just as if you had not sinned. You know, it doesn't mean that you've not sinned. It just means that you've been justified for your sin. It means that your account has been rectified. It's been cleared. This justification is actually an accounting term. It really means that you are to justify your account with God. Well, that's what they were doing in the temple was once a year they would go and sacrifice for their sin. But then Jesus came and he sacrificed for our sin one time for all time. And that justification now puts us in the same vein as what Jesus is with God. It means that I can boldly come into his throne room. So we have a couple of areas here where we've been justified. We've been justified in our belief. So we'll see here in Genesis, even in the Old Testament, that Abraham was justified for his righteousness because he believed the Lord. That's what Genesis 15, 6 says. So when God cut covenant with him, Abraham just believed him. He believed, hey, I'm not even going to see all these kids that you've told me about. But I believe that it's going to happen, Lord. And so he cut covenant with God and he just went on. And it actually says in Hebrews, it tells you that Abraham was a, that Abraham was justified by faith. Romans 3, 22, even the righteousness of God, which was in faith by Christ Jesus unto all and upon all of them, that believe there is no difference. So when we so when we have a when we're justified by faith, there's no difference between us that are in Jesus. So us in Jesus, when God sees us, he sees Jesus. We are justified as if we are in Christ. Mark 9, 24, it says, Immediately the father of the child cried out and said uh, with tears, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Do you know that, that our justification allows us that when, our, when we're starting to have unbelief in our heart, 
that he justifies us. He comes and helps our unbelief. You know what happened after this? This child was dying. Jesus went and said, your son will live. Do you know the word that is in our Bibles? It gives us that, that firm foundation to be able to say, no, I'm going to give you a belief when you don't even have it. When you ask for something, I'm going to give it. He helps us and he justifies us in our unbelief. The gift of justification in Romans 5.17 and 5.18, it says, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which were received abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to con in, into condemnation, even so by the righteousness of the one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. I want you to understand that life here, this, this is a, so you have the Zoe kind of life, right? You have this, this Zoe kind of life, which is the God kind of life. But the Zeo kind of life means, hey, I'm living just a life here on earth. I'm not in heaven. I'm not doing anything. But we have justification now. We have justification in Jesus now on this earth. We get to walk around like we're children. We don't have to walk around like we're like we're defeated or that we are, are in some sort of issue. But we can walk and know that God has our back. So also in our health, 1 Peter 2.24 kind of, I think, wraps up a lot of things because it says, who himself uh, bear our sin on his own body on the tree that we being dead to sin should live. This is that same Zao life. Um, it's life or to be means that we have it now. If we be, you got it. So how many people are, are beings? Everybody. That's why they call us human beings. I mean, you may think to yourself, why do they call it? Because I used to go, why are we a human being? Because we're being human. Do you know that, that that's the same way we're, we are being God's children on this earth right now? We're not waiting for heaven. It is for us now. And it says that, that we should live under righteousness, but by whose stripes we were healed. Is this an act or is this a state of being? This is a state of being. We don't have to act like we are saved. We don't have to act like we are righteous or justified. We are justified. And you go, but what if I don't feel justified? Will you believe Jesus? Yes, I believe, I believe in Jesus. Well, then you're justified. It's not a matter of acting. It's not a matter of feeling. It's a matter of being. And when we are in Christ, then we are justified. And then the last thing right here is that we get this awesome thing called eternal life. Eternal life means that it wipes away all of the bad stuff in the past. 
So it justifies you before and it justifies you all the way into eternity. We get the ability for God to say, I don't remember any of your sins before. The ones you had before, the ones you have now, and the ones you have in the future. Eternal life wipes it all out. Romans 5.21, it says, That as sin has reigned into death, even so might grace reign through righteousness, <clears throat> excuse me, unto the eternal life by Jesus Christ. Romans 8.10 says, And if any be in Christ, and if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit of life because of righteousness. What I want you to understand is, is that everything out here is flesh. Everything out here is dead. Okay? But by the Spirit, we live our life in this world as if we are completely and totally immune. Think about this. We've got COVID that's out here. But if you were immune to COVID, if you were immune to COVID, would you go pray for people? If you were immune to COVID, would you go talk to people? You know, one of the one of the things I saw on Facebook and I thought was really cool was it said, you know, that it was as if someone had made Jesus woke, you know, and it was like, well, if Jesus was here, he would wear a mask. And it said, no, if Jesus was here, he would take the mask off and he'd go pray for people because what did he do to the lepers? Do you know having leprosy is way worse than COVID? I mean, there was people's faces that was rotten off that he went up and he laid hands on. They were unclean. They had to walk around and say, unclean, unclean. And you know what? Jesus said, no, I'm going to walk around because I believe that I'm immune. Now, am I telling you guys to go, I always tell Heather, you know, we got the shot, you know, but are we going to go lick doorknobs now? No, I'm not going to go lick doorknobs now. But you know what? Even if somebody had COVID and they were with me and said, I need you to pray, I'm going to pray for that person. Mm -hmm. I'll give you one last story and then I'll, I'll, I'll close us out. I was uh, at, a, at a tech conference a few years ago. It was right at Christmas. And there was a lady and she was wearing a mask. And this was before COVID. This was like 2018 time frame. And I'm in a, like a grocery store in Buckhead <clears throat> over in Atlanta. And I go walking in. I'm trying to get water and stuff like that because I'm staying a few nights over there. And I go walking in and this lady has got this mask on and she's doing all this. And when people would come by, she would go, I have the flu. Stay away from me. Do you know that the Lord, it hit me. I mean, it was so powerful. It, that scripture became alive. Where he said that the, he went and he touched the lepers. That scripture become alive because the lady's standing and she's going, I've got the flu. Stay away from me. And I walked up to her and I said, can I pray for you? She goes, are you not afraid of the flu? I said, I'm not afraid of the flu. I said, can I pray for you? And I prayed for her. 
And she says, I feel so much better. Thank you so much. I just felt like I was going to get other people sick. I felt like this. I felt like that. And I said, no. I said, God loves you. And I told her, I said, I said, you're healed. I said, take your medicine and everything, but, but I'm not wanting to condemn you for what you have. I want to help you out of your situation. You know that the meek and those who hunger for righteousness, they're looking for opportunities to help people. They're looking for opportunities to raise people up. You know what? That's what we're going to do here at Identity Church. We're going to go and we're going to raise people up. We're going to help them in the ways that they need help. You know, one program or one thing does not help everybody. So we have to be led by the Holy Ghost, each and every one of us, to be able to talk to people. I loved it how mom this week, we were doing the Identity logo and we were putting it on a sign and there was an atheist, right? Uh, or an agnostic, maybe. I, I, we'll, we'll say he's an agnostic. He doesn't know if there's a God. Mom shows this, <coughs> our sign to him. And he said, you know what? That really touched me because that looked like Golgotha where there was the cross and the sun behind it. And I thought to myself, I didn't even think of our logo as that. And I was like, here's an unbeliever that said that it touched their heart because they said it spoke to them. You know what? We're going to be able to, if, if your thing is art, if your thing is science, if your thing is math, if your thing is I drive cars for driver's way, I, I go and I, I'm an NDE person. You know, I'm a mother and I go and I deal with other mothers. Whatever it is, we're going we're gonna to touch people where they're at and where they need. Because programs, they work sometimes, but they don't work all the time. But it always works every single time when we get to minister to people one-on-one. Amen, did y'all learn something today? Amen.